I'll invite you to be seated. And I want to begin right off the bat by speaking to my brothers and sisters, my friends down at True Worth. I want to acknowledge the folks here in the ark and those in the sanctuary and those that are online. But our friends down at True Worth, I know this morning you are grieving uh, one of our primary servants, Belinda Calhoun. Uh, she leads a Bible study with you during the week, and she's there every Sunday morning in worship with you. And uh, she died yesterday morning. I know some of you are just now receiving that news. And she was like a pastor to you. And, uh, and I want you to know, we're, we didn't know you were hurting this morning. So I want to begin this worship time, just all the body, everybody in the sanctuary, ark, everybody watching online, just lifting up in prayer our True Worth friends who are worshiping downtown even now. And uh, so, God, we do that. Uh, we stop here acknowledging, God, that though we're in many places, uh, you bind us together as one. And there's only one church, uh, there's only one family, and that is your family. I mean, ultimately, God, we're part of your family. And so we pray for our, our family, our friends, and brothers and sisters at True Worth this morning, that as they cope with the loss of one of their good friends, one of their leaders, even someone who pastored unto them, uh, that you would minister to them. Uh, you would know you care. And we thank you for Belinda and her service to that community there at True Worth in downtown Fort Worth. And now, God, we ask as we open your word that you would speak to all of us. Uh, we each have a story. We each come from different places in life this morning. And we need a fresh word from you. So we ask you to do this through your word and through the teaching through the Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to find the book of Colossians. By now, if you've been with us all summer long, you should open your Bible and plop. It just goes to Colossians. I mean, it's uh, 10 weeks we've been doing this. If you're new here this morning, you came on a weekend. We are finishing up something I've uh, been doing all summer long. We've just been marching through verse by verse by verse. And so I hope if you've been doing this all summer, uh, this has recharged you. hope it's caused you to rethink how to read the Bible, how you rethink about Colossians. I hope it's challenged how you re rethink what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I mean, being a follower of Jesus is hard, especially during the summer, right? I mean, it's hard, it's hard all the time. Uh, during the summer, it can be especially hard. And so if you're a guest, we welcome you. Hope you might even go back and catch up a little bit. If you're new, I'd love to meet you. All of our messages are online. You can find them in a podcast. You can find them on Facebook. You can find them even at our website. So we would invite you to do that in this study. So we're wrapping it up this morning in Colossians. We're in chapter 4. We're at the very end. And I wonder how many of you, when you write an email, you struggle with what to say at the very end, right? You want to make sure it's poignant, it's insightful. Uh, you're not going to put your name because they already know your name. It says from, right? So they know it's from you. So maybe you put something like in his grip, you know, just do it. You know, but you try to you know what do you say there at the very end that gets their attention that kind of says something. So I get this email from this guy, a pastor, and at the very end it says, rock the flock. So I, I respond back to him and say, man, what do you even mean by that? And he said, jam for the lamb. I said, man, you're terrible. He said, sing for the king. I oh, man, just get off the rhyming deal. I mean, kind of think about it. So uh, we read this, this letter. The apostle Paul's about to do that. But first I want to ask you, if you had to write at the very end of your email something consistently you wanted to say that kind of revealed your heart, something that your wishes for somebody else, what would it be? What would be your three words, your four words that you consistently wrote, penned at the end 
of an email. So at the end of this letter, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. We're in Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Here we go. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother. He's a faithful minister. He's a fellow servant in the Lord. And I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you might know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother. Hey, he's one of you. And they're going to tell you everything that's happening here. So here's what's happening. These are the two guys that are taking this letter, and they're going to read it at this little church. These are the two guys. All right? They're, they're, and about everything else going on with Paul. So it goes on in verse 10. My fellow prisoner, Aristotarchus, he sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instruction about him. If he comes to you, make sure you welcome him. Then there's Jesus. He's, he's called Justice. He also sends his greetings. And these are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom, for God. Uh, they have proved a comfort to me. Then there's Epaphras. Uh, he's one of you. He's a servant of Christ Jesus. He sends greetings, and he is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Stop right there for a second. Do you know for a fact you have someone in your life that's wrestling in prayer for you? I mean, you know it without question. More than one. They're resting in prayer that you will stand firm in the will of God. That when it gets hard, you're going to stand firm in what it means to be a Christian. Do you have people wrestling in prayer for you that you're going to mature, that you're going to grow up in the way you behave, in the way you live, in the way you act? Not a baby, immature Christian your whole life, but you're actually going to mature and grow up. I love this here because really this, this guy, he's praying for the church. He's resting in prayer for the Colossian church. Do you ever do that? Do you wrestle in prayer for your church family? Do you do that? I think about Jacob who wrestled in prayer with God all night long in the scripture. Wrestled in prayer all night long. Asking that God would touch him and bless him. Do you wrestle in prayer? Have you ever wrestled in prayer all night long, praying that God would bless, touch, heal, use your church? Have you ever done that? Just a thought. Verse 13, I vouch for him that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas, they send greetings. Luke wrote the book of Acts. This is where we learn he was a doctor. This is where the Bible tells us he was a doctor. We believe that he is with Paul, keeping Paul healthy as he can. Verse 15, give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans, that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. Here it comes. Verse 18, here's a sign-off. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Here it comes. Grace be with you. That's it. Done, over and out, finished. End of letter. Grace be with you. I love it. And here's what's fascinating. Paul writes 13 letters. 13 times he ends them the same way. You can count on it. Grace 
be with you. Go put it on the screen. Here's some of them. Romans, grace be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in Corinthians, let it be with you. Down in Galatians, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Brothers and sisters, amen. Ephesians, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. An undying love of grace. Philippians, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Thessalonians, the grace, both of them, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The next one's Timothy, both Timothys, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Grace be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 13 times, 13 endings. He ends them with the word what? What's the word? Grace. That word in the Greek is caress. Say caress. Caress. C-H-A-R-I-S. Caress. Now the Romans, in this just little letter, the Roman Empire, that little word was a Greek word, but it wasn't the word they used. It wasn't common to them. Well, what did all the Caesars promise? Here are the three words. I'm going to promise you security. I'm going to promise you prosperity. I'm going to promise you order. That was the promise of the great Roman Empire. Three big words. Grace is not in the equation. There's no grace. If you want to be respected as a person, you've got to earn it. You've got to ascend. You've got to climb the ladder. You've got to perform you got to honor Caesar. you got to honor Caesar well. And if you honor Caesar well, and you perform well, and you ascend, then you get freedom, then you get respect. No such thing as grace. But Paul understands the beauty and the power of grace. So I just kind of took the time this past week, and I read through all 13 of his letters here in the Bible. And every time it said grace, I just stopped. And kind of, what can I understand about what Paul thinks about grace? And I discovered in my little searching and work that he uses grace in many different ways to convey many different messages for many different purposes. But you can reduce them down to four, I think. And all four of them are in this little book of Colossians. So let's just kind of point them out and see what we can learn deep in our understanding what Paul means by grace be with you. Colossians chapter 1. Verse 2, look at what he says at the very end of that. Verse 2, he says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father. In other words, grace to you. That's number one in your message notes. Grace to you. 13 letters, 13 times, Paul introduces himself by saying, Grace to you. Grace to you. Now, I think that's fascinating. What a way to introduce yourself. What a way to begin a conversation. Not, uh, hey, how you doing? Not, what's up? Not, hey, man. Grace and peace to you. Fascinating. The Romans, they promised, hey, listen, I promise, we're going to give you structure. We're going to give you order. We're going to give you peace. We're going to give you prosperity. Paul says, I'm going to give you grace. That's what was given to me. I'm going to give it to you. What is grace? Literally in the Greek, grace. Grace is this divine favor, this divine goodness, this divine kindness of God. That, that's what grace is. Grace is what God has done through Jesus Christ. It's the work of God on the cross of Jesus. Paul would say grace is the prosperity 
It's the security. It's the order that you get in your life, not through Rome, not through the empire, but through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he'd say. Grace and peace to you. What is peace? Uh, peace is the idea that one day God is going to make the creation back to what he created from the very beginning. Peace is a culture. Peace is an environment. Peace is a place of reality where a human being can live and flourish, and you can become who God created you to be. That's peace. God would say, peace and grace be with you. He's not just having some sort of little cute little opening. It's not just an acknowledgment of, hey, what's up? It's more than that. Hey, I, I really want you to know the grace of God here is to you. Now, this is really radical. What he's doing is subverting the language of the empire. Because you got to realize in Rome, they had, you were inside or outside, right? I mean, some of you know that, right? You go to somewhere, you go to someplace, and you go someplace new for the very first time. And when, as soon as you walk in, you realize they got secret handshakes, inside jokes, inside language, and automatically you don't feel apart. You don't feel included. You feel left out. That doesn't need to be happening here. Let me be very clear. If that's happening here, there's something wrong. Well, you got to earn your way to get in, to feel apart and feel included. When the Apostle Paul, when he's walking around, he said, hey, listen, peace, grace to you. He's saying divine favor of God is for all of you. It's yours. The divine goodness, kindness of God to everyone. Grace and peace. But it's more than a greeting. There are actually deeper theological ramifications the way Paul understands grace. Go down to verse 6, chapter 1. And right in the middle of verse 6, he begins to send, begins in the middle of the verse, a fresh sentence, beginning with in. It says, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it, and you truly understood God's grace. Let me reread that another way. Instead of the gospel, it says, in the same way, grace is bearing fruit. Grace is growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and you understood God's grace. In other words, in your notes, God's grace for you. Grace for you. I wish I could look around the room in the ark in true words, in the sanctuary, online, and I can look into each of your eyes, and you can actually feel like I'm saying grace for you, personally, you. I wonder for how many of you really get grace. I mean, you really get it. I wonder how many of you really understand Grace. He said, when you first fully understood it, do you understand grace? Uh, when, when, when did you realize, have, have you realized it, that your life is not about what you accomplish, about what you build, about what you make, about what you do? Your life is really solely and only about what God has done and what God will do, and it's about God's grace, period. I don't know about you, I've been a slow learner. I've struggled in my life with truly understanding grace for me. 
and what that means. Eighth grade to twelfth grade, I had a coach who rode my bohunkers. He rode me, he pushed me, he hated me, he didn't like me, and every year when I went to the next grade, I thought, okay, I'm leaving him behind. He promoted every year, eighth grade, and all the way to the twelfth grade. And he just flat out told me, Owen, I don't even know why you're doing out here. You're a worthless, in some other words. Just get off the field. Don't come back tomorrow. You don't need to be here. Blah, blah. Over and over. You rode me. You're never going to amount to anything. And that words begin to sink in. Five years later, a pastor, I'm working in a church, a pastor said, man, I don't even know why you're trying to be a pastor. You, you, you're not going to make it. You're not going to work. Your, your ideas and way of thinking, I don't even like your personality. Your personality didn't fit the profile. Your ideas are too crazy. You're never going to measure up. Just don't even try. Catapult to 1986. I started applying to this little church in Burleson, Texas. I'm looking for a job. I need a job. And I say, sorry, you don't have to meet the qualifications. You don't have a degree. You're not ordained. You're not this. You're not that. You don't have the experience. They finally hired me because nobody else would take the job. <laughs> I just kept on. So they gave me the job. And I thought, I got to prove myself. I got to prove to them they're wrong. I'm going to work harder than everybody else. I'm going to make sure that coach knows, that pastor knew, that search committee. I'm going to prove to them that I'm good enough and I can and I will. And I did. And I worked and I worked and I worked in school and I worked in this church. And, worked. and man, God started blessing it and it started growing like crazy. And then finally, about five years into that, my wife sets me down and says, you know what, honey, everything else is working, but you and I are not because you're never home. And then I start working to get back into her good graces. And I'm working to make her approve and to work to make it right and to work to fix it and to work to be a better dad and to work to do that and to work to be a better pastor and to work, work, work. And finally, in a frenzy, this pastor friend of mine said, you know what, Rick, I, I, I love your desire to do things well and to fix things and to make things right, but I need to tell you something, man. You just need to back off. And you need to know that you're okay with God. And stop trying to earn it. And stop trying to prove yourself. You're okay with God. You're okay with the church. You're okay with your family. Just back off. God's grace is for you. <laughs> I struggle with that. I wonder how many men here in the house, if you got honest, you struggle with it too, maybe some women too, but how many, I wonder how many men, you live in your whole life to try to live up to somebody's expectations or to prove somebody wrong, and you're going to prove that they're wrong, you're going to live up to those, and you're going to work, you're going to push, you're going to do it, you're going to live up, you're going to do that. Work harder, 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 and down deep on the inside, you don't even realize what you're doing. You're trying to prove you're worthy of respect. 
that you're worthy of being a person. You're worthy of God's love. And you point, hey, look what I did in my job. Look what I've done in this house. Look what I've done in my profession. Look what I've done with my degrees. Look what I've done with my family. And all you're doing is pointing to scaffolding that holds you up to make you look good in the eyes of people and you think in the eyes of God. And God says, there is nothing you're going to do that's going to make you good enough. You can never be good enough. It's what I have done on the cross for you that makes you good, and that is my grace just for you. Receive it. And to live in the freedom of my grace for you. It's not about you. Man, that's hard to wrap your head around, right? I mean, it's just hard to, to, to let that sink in. Back in 2010, there were these miners in Chile. Some of you know the story. They're in Chile. They're 2,300 feet below the ground, and they all caves in on top of them. Boom. They're trapped for 17 days. They have zero contact with anyone in a little 600-square-foot cave. Can you imagine 33 people in a 600-square-foot cave? I want you to picture you in your house. Picture a house. Picture a dorm room. Uh, picture your living room. Picture your office. Maybe 600 square feet and living with 33 people for 69 days. The same people they never leave. No toothbrushes. No personal hygiene accessories at all. Can you imagine? And they're thinking, how are we going to survive? How are we going to live? So here's what they do. They decide that everybody gets one small bite of tuna twice a day, and you get one sip of milk a day. That's how we're going to have sustenance. And we're going to take this 600 square feet. Hey, over here, if you're going to eat, you go eat over here. If you, if, you wanna, if you need to go to the restroom, this is that place for facilities. This is where you clean up and get ready for bed. This is where you sleep, and this is where you play poker. So they divide it up to 600 square foot. This is how we're going to live in this place so we don't go crazy and drive each other crazy. Finally, finally, the Chilean engineers at NASA come up with a way to, to get them out. And they create this little canister, and they lower the canister. Some of you saw this down, 2,300 feet, and they bring it back up. And in 24 hours, every single one of them were saved. They got out, they're in their life. You can imagine the joy and excitement. Rescued. But picture what would happen if they raised that canister up to the top and they opened it, and nobody stepped out. And they lowered it again, down deep, raised it back up, and nobody got out. You sent a note back down. Hey, listen, guys, we've been working hard to rescue you. Don't you want to come out? And the guy said, no, the tune is really pretty good. <laughs> I think we'll just stay down here. And, hey, I, I'm up $200 in poker. I'm not coming up till I start losing, man. I mean, it's, it's kind of working for me. And you're going, we've been working and working and working to rescue you. You've not done anything. We've done it all, and you're not going to accept it. And God's saying, listen, I have been working and working and working and toiling and toiling, stooping down low. The word grace in the Hebrew, you know what the word grace in the Hebrew means? It means to stoop down low. God says, I'm going to stoop down low and walk among the dirt and walk through your dirt and all the junk of your life, and I'm going to grab hold of you and rescue you, and you're going to say no 
and you don't have to do anything but receive it? Grace for you. You. For you. And I would go around to each person in this room. Have you ever had a time in your life, more than once, where you just kind of sat down and you were aware that you could never be good enough, ever? But God's grace, God just, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the rescue. Thank you, I don't have to play by the rules of the world, that you give me a freedom to live like nobody else does. Thank you for your grace. And then he hits it a little bit deeper. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Grace to you, grace for you. Here it comes, verse 5. Hey, chapter 4, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Uh, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. Season with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. In other words, grace through you. I wonder how many of us in the room, online, true worth, sanctuary, you be honest. Your conversations aren't that full of grace in the workplace. Are your conversations more full of grace or anger and frustration and criticism and negativity and pointing people down, judgment, condemnation? I wonder how many of us in the room would say, in your conversation, just a naturally, grace doesn't naturally flow out of you. I wonder how many of you, you really keep people at a distance. You don't let people get too close to you. You hold them away. But if they work really hard, if they work really, really hard, maybe you'll let them get close enough to you to where you'll be kind, a little favor, a little goodness. Maybe. If they work really hard, Maybe. It's not natural, maybe. And the Apostle Paul, why does he say, hey, listen, make the most of every single opportunity. Let your conversations be always out of your mouth, full of grace. Season with salt. Let your heart be overflowing, he's saying, with grace so that you can know how to answer everyone. Why is that so hard? Why is it so hard for you and me to allow grace to be always flowing through us in our conversations? Why is it so hard when we're driving, right? You know, and this is so common for all. This is the common response. You're in traffic. Somebody cuts you off. The initial response is usually one of three things. One, you're going to pull up beside them, and you're just going to stare at them. And let them know you know and you're mad and you're ticked. And you might, if, I get, if you get their attention, you might even do something else. Or you pull in front of them and you slow down to go as slow as you can. You go, <laughs> yeah, you know you're laughing because I'm just you. Yeah. Or you pull up right on their bumper and you ride their bumper. I'm going to show you. Yeah, I'm here, buddy. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. I'm here. Yeah, I know what. Right? Why is it not natural for when somebody cuts you off that your first reaction is, man, 
There must be something going on with them. Grace. And you just let it go. Why is it so hard? Dallas Willard put it this way. He said, saints will burn through grace faster than a sinner ever would. I'll repeat it. Saints burn through grace faster than a sinner ever will. Why? Because they're always doling it out. They know how grace works. You give it away. The only way you get to keep it is if you give it away. See, people whose hearts and conversations are full of grace, when somebody's acting out and somebody's behaving and acting like a jerk or a problem or angry or frustrated or sad or just, just dysfunctional, they start asking questions. They go, man, I wonder what God wants to do in their life. I wonder why they're so angry. I wonder why they're so upset. I wonder why they're cussing, losing their temper out of control. I wonder why they're so quiet. Why are they acting that way? Because someone whose conversation and heart is so full of grace, they see beyond the moment. They don't see what's happening right then. They're looking at what's the reason for why they are that way. That's great. not easy. Not easy for me. I had this guy give me a shout, and he said, hey, pastor, hey, for two to three weeks, I want to I follow in your footsteps. I said, what? He said, for two or three weeks, I want to eat while you eat. I want to exercise. I want to do your workout. I want to do it when you work out. I want to know what you're reading in the Bible. I want to read exactly what you're reading. I want to read it when you're reading it. I want to pray like you pray when you pray. I want to go to sleep when you go to sleep. For two to three weeks, I want to imitate your life. And I'm going, stalker. <laughs> no blooming way, dude. No. That's my first response. No. I mean, this guy, I want to tell you this guy, to be fair, is that if I saw this guy on the street, he's one of those people that just kind of get on my nerves, just kind of, there's something about it just chalk a chalkboard, you know, I'd have walked the other way if I saw him in Walmart or, or Kroger or whatever. Just, and so now you want to follow me in my shadow for two to three weeks? No, but I didn't know how to say it. So I went to a mentor friend of mine, kind of a, a leader guy that I trust. I said, man, I need some help. How do I tell this guy no? You know, because, and he just looked at me and said, you know what, how good and gracious is our God? I said, you mean, what does that mean? He said, I mean, just how good and gracious is our God, Rick, that he, he's not going to let anything in your heart that's broken go unfixed. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, Rick, just let the guy into your life. Just let him do it. Give him some grace. Because I will tell you, I think God's going to use that to heal something in you. Because the reason you're so upset has nothing to do, there's something in you that's causing you to react to him. He's not the problem. The problem is in you. Could I possibly suggest that the very people you're pushing away, that you don't want to be kind to, you don't want to be nice to, you don't want to be grace to, because you're protecting something in you that's broken and wounded, and when you get in a relationship with him, you get all wound up because it's touching a nerve in you. Could it be? Could it be the reason 
that your heart doesn't overflow with conversations of grace is because your heart's not full of grace? Could it be? Could it be that the reason you don't have grace flowing out of you is like your heart can have blockage, that there's a blockage in your heart that won't allow it to flow out? And the very people that you're pushing away are the prophets that God is going to use to speak truth to that place within you that needs to be unlocked. Could it be? The reason we ask you to read 15, 20 minutes of this book every single morning is not so you can study the book, but so the book can study you. Not so you can ask questions of the book, but so the book can ask questions of you. The book doesn't need to be healed. The book doesn't need to be transformed. It's you and I that need to be healed and need to be transformed. And when I read the book over time, God's grace begins to flow through me into others when I'm aware of how much God's grace has been given to me. Grace through you. There's one more. I love it. It's how he finishes this whole book. It's so great. It's at the very end. We read it a while ago. I want to read it again. Hey, I, Paul, I write this screen in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with, with you. Not, not, not just to you. Not, not, not just for you and not just through you. But may God's grace continually, always, 24-7, be with you. This past week, as I found myself reading through all these letters, running about grace, I found myself over here in the Corinthians, and I saw so much. And over here in 1 Corinthians 15, I found this little verse that just hit me right in the face. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was what was with what with was what with me. Church, I'm 64 years of age. I'm almost dead. <laughs> I was almost dead when I was 21. I blinked. I'm 64. Thirty-three years ago, I walked around the little two-acre little building. They hired this guy that didn't meet all the credentials and have all the standards and had all these dreams. God began to speak into my life, all these visions and dreams for the future of this church. And there are many of you here. You are here because God pictured you being here 33 years ago. Some of you not even born yet. There are so many things that have not yet come to be. And sometimes I find myself getting frustrated at all this vision, God, that 33 years ago that you gave my little mind, that what you were going to do over the course of time, why is it taking so long? Why, why didn't it happen? I'm working hard, God. I'm working hard. I'm working hard. I'm working hard. We're working hard. And then it just kind of hit me when I'm reading this passage. Uh, hey, listen up. 
No, I worked harder than everybody. Yet not me. It was the grace of God that was with me. Can I make sure you understand this? Because you're almost dead too. 16 and 17-year-olds, that includes you. At the end of your life, there are many things that will have happened you wish wouldn't have happened. There are going to be many things that will never occur that you hope would happen, but they never happened. But grace with you is the trust that God was with you, weaving the story of your life, the good and the bad, what you wanted, what you didn't want, what never happened and what did happen. He's weaving it all into a story of grace, that your life is a story of grace. Your life is not about you. You get to be a part of God's life for a while. And may it be said of you, when you lay down for the very last time, that your life was a story of God's grace. Weaving all the things together in a way that honored God and blessed people. The good and the bad, the hard and the easy. God's grace be with you. I hope this book, this study this summer has helped you. And I hope you do not leave here without getting this right here. 13 letters, 13 introductions, 13 closings, one word. All the theology, all the ideas, one word. And that word is grace. Life is grace. Your marriage is grace. Your child is grace. That breath you just took, it is grace. It's just grace. You didn't ask for it. You didn't deserve it. It's a gift. And the question is, what are you going to do with the gift of God's grace? It's called life. What would happen if we all looked through the lens of this thing called grace? What would happen? God makes two promises, right? I'll always love you. I'll never leave you. But together, they mean one thing, grace. What would happen if you looked through the lens of grace at everything? How would it change your life? How would it change? How would it change? Paul says, I've learned a secret of being content in plenty and in want, hungry and being well-fed. Why? Because I see it all through the lens of grace. How would it impact you go to work tomorrow? If you looked at those co-workers, how would it change how you looked at them if you looked them through the eyes of grace? How would it change how you react to them? That ex-spouse, anybody here, don't raise your hand, have an ex-spouse? How would it change how you interacted with your ex-spouse if you looked at them through the eyes of God, through the eyes of grace? 
When you come home to the dinner table, you're tired, you're worn out, you're beat down, the family's around the table, you just want them to be quiet and they won't be quiet. How would it change how you respond to them if you looked at them through the lens of grace? That person who irritates you, who gets under your skin, who just, just really... How would it change how you react to them if you looked at them through the lens of grace? And when life happens, when problems come, when life gets hard, when life gets challenging, when bad things happen, how would it change how you looked at it if you looked at it through the lens of grace? Let me put it another way. Your gifts, your children, your job, your talent. How would it change how you dealt with it if you looked at it through the lens of grace? grace and peace to you, Pathway Church. May the incredible, loving, healing grace of God, may you know it is for you. May the incredible favor and goodness and kindness of God always flow through you. May the amazing grace of God be with you when life is good, when life is hard. When it was hard, she just said, this is my body. I know how hard it's going to be. My body broken, stooped down low, broken for you. And whenever you eat this bread, be mindful of what I have done for you. This is the cup of salvation sealed in the blood. My blood spilled for you. I'm going to do the work. So you might know forgiveness, freedom from guilt, from shame, from embarrassment, from dysfunction. That you would know that my grace, you're free. God, we thank you for this table. We don't deserve it. We're not good enough. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. But today we come to this table to receive it. To receive your grace. To receive the assurance that you love us and you forgive us. To receive the assurance that you're with us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. To receive God in the bad times and the good times that uh, you're weaving a story in our lives and your grace can flow through us even still because you want to heal us so God whether it be a true worth in the sanctuary those that are online those in the ark in the room here God that as we uh, receive this sacrament
speak and touch and heal. And I would remind everyone here, uh, you're welcome to this table. Grace and peace to you. This is to you. This is for you. Not baptized. This is for you. Not sure you believe in God. That's okay. He believes in you. This is for you. Not a member of this church. Come. This is for you. Grace and peace to you. May it be so. In Jesus' name.